Hey, Emily. Hey, Stephanie. You uh, want to do a podcast? Absolutely. Welcome to Cycle Chats, a podcast that destigmatizes what it means to be a woman. This is episode three, No More Bad Dates, with our very special guest, who is a mom, a wife, a dating and relationship expert, the creator of the Cosmic Love Portal, and the author of No More Bad Dates, Carrie Taminia. So I am, as you said, a dating and relationship expert. That is my passion, my focus. I am obsessed with helping people date better and have better relationships. And really specifically, I kind of blend modern psychology and my background in counseling with really magic, magic seeming anyway, um, energy techniques and Chinese medicine and intuition. And bringing those two worlds together for me has really helped me create this very unique protocol essentially to help people get free from their limiting beliefs and their past relationships and their stuff they learned in childhood about relationships that doesn't work anymore and help them sort of create a new future, a new potential for their future relationships. I just love the work that I do and it it was a long journey getting here for sure. And I think that all of the pieces that I picked up along the way really play like a huge role in the work that I do now. So I'm grateful for all of them, grateful for the process of being here, but that's that's what I focus on. I I just want to empower people to have better connections, the connections that I know we all can have that sometimes we miss out on. That's beautiful. I'm a big, I love dipping into, you know, how can we be better people for the relationships around us? Uh, But more so that you speak on like that you use intuition as part of that technique. And I don't think people realize how powerful intuition is. I mean, it's the gut. It tells you, it gives you those like, oh, that's a red flag. And sometimes, you know, if we're not tapped into it, we become unaware that, you know, maybe what we're experiencing that seems like butterflies is, is really a warning sign. Have you always felt a strong sense of intuition or was that something that you had to, I guess, build up to? Like, when did you click into that? I think that I always did have a good sense of sort of my inner tuition in that I I always functioned a lot on my gut feeling, but I didn't really recognize it as a formal skill that could be developed and used until I was in my 20s and I was on my own sort of like healing my own relationship story because all of my relationships were terrible. And I recognized in my own healing process that like, oh, this gut thing that I've always kind of used like in my professional life or in my sort of, you know, education that has led me in good directions there. Oh, I can hone that and use it for my relationships and my dating process. And then eventually I honed it even more to use it now in the work that I do, in the coaching work that I do, in the group work that I do. Because for me, my intuition plays a huge role in how I help a specific client or a specific group really move through the blocks that they have. And I get to teach them that they can formally recognize that their intuition is a part of who they are. And that plays a huge role in how they're moving through their connections and moving through their relationships all the way down to, you know, teaching women to rely on their intuition when they're swiping on Tinder. Like you don't have to wait for your first date. Like it plays a role the entire time. And if you're listening to your inner self, you know, some people hear the word intuition and they think it's like too woo for them, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, it's just your authentic self. It's your most authentic voice. And we learn to ignore it because of all the input all the time around us. But it really should play a big role in all the decisions that we make about who we spend our time with, what potential partners we entertain, how we really feel as, you know, a date is going on or we're in a relationship. You know, like you said, like butterflies could be very easily misinterpreted for sure. And having 
that awareness helps us navigate all of those potential situations and stay aligned with who we really truly are and what we really truly want to create in our lives. I had this one friend who would go on mini dates, as she called them. They would be five minutes long. And she would be able to tell in those first five minutes if she wanted to continue or if it was over because she said it took the pressure off of it. It was like an instant connection or she would walk away. And I think that's so impressive. And, you know, I had never really met anybody before with that kind of self-awareness. Steph and I talk a lot about love versus lust. It's something that we have debates on all the time, which I think is such an interesting thing because, you know, unfortunately in movies and in songs, you're hearing all of these lyrics or you're seeing these relationships that aren't really love. They're not showing it for real. They're showing this fantasized version, which I really believe is leaning people people to believe that lust, like Steph was saying, those butterfly feelings, that is love. Those butterflies could actually be bad signs. Anxiety. Like it could very easily yeah. be like, oh, this feels terrible. I feel nervous. And we think like, oh, this must be butterflies. I do. I agree with you. I think that some of those like rom-coms and the fairy tales, this perception of connection that we have is this like sort of, you know, magical story that just takes place without us really participating in, in and it just instantly, we just fall in love immediately and we just know and we're together forever and everyone lives happily ever after is really inaccurate. And there's just so much at play. And and I even expand it for in the work that I do beyond lust, because I think sometimes that we as people and as a society tend to like demonize lust a little bit. Like it sounds like love is meritous and and lust is not, when really lust is a very natural biological human feeling that we're all supposed to experience. It's not a bad thing. It just can't be the foundation of your relationship. And what we have termed a lot of times as lust really is just a hormonal brain chemical interaction that's making us feel a particular way. So one of the things that I recommend for the women that I work with is that you don't make any big commitment decisions. Like we're going to move in together. We're going to be exclusive. We're going to, you know, get married. We're going to do, we're going to get engaged. Like any of those things until at least three to six months has passed because it takes three to six months for the hormones and the brain chemicals in your brain that are triggered by your interest in another person sexually or as a potential love interest to calm down and be normal. So you're not really making accurate decisions all the time, especially those first couple of months because your brain is releasing chemicals like dopamine at very high rates in order to sustain a connection. Like that's biologically why it's there. So it sustains a connection. So you keep interest long enough to maybe see if it's something. And we think that that means we're in love. It's just a chemical response to an interest, a person that we like, a person we're sexually attracted to perhaps. And it's a normal response. It's supposed to happen, but it's not supposed to be like the foundation for your connection. I agree with you. And I'm so happy that you're bringing up the scientific part of it because I think we forget sometimes that you're not supposed to be in honeymoon phase your entire life. I mean, that feeling will come back in some sort of a way, but it doesn't, chasing after that initial high, so to speak, I I don't know that that's healthy. And I I had a friend who was always chasing that and she found herself very disappointed all the time. And I told her, you know, you're, you're chasing that initial feeling. I said, subsides. And if after that time you still feel good, but it's not so intense, that's okay. You can't be at a 12 all the time. And I think that, again, like people tend to romanticize that honeymoon phase, like you called it. And in reality, you know, we're not supposed to be in that honeymoon phase forever. And what comes after the honeymoon phase, if you've learned to truly and genuinely connect with another person, is much better. It's much more fulfilling. It's much more sustainable. And it's this kind of like lifelong learning process of how to be intimate with another person who you care about deeply. And that has to come after 
the honeymoon phase. You can't be in honeymoon phase and have that, you know? And I always tell women, you know, with, of course I have clients who have these very sexual connections and they're like, but the sex is so great. You know, like you were saying, and I think, you know, that comes up so often. My favorite line in that case is, you know, there are three and a half billion men in the world. I can guarantee you that there's someone who is better at sex than the person that you're with. So how important is sex in the relationship then? I think sex is very important in relationships. I think physical intimacy and physical connection is valid and important. Again, we are humans and we can talk all about, you know, love and like soul connections and the energy and the intimacy, all that we want. And still at the end of the day, we are biological human beings and physical connection is deeply important. But I think that people expect physical connection to be magical. As in, if I'm with the right person, or if this relationship is fulfilling, or if this is right, then it just happens and everything will be great, right? The sex will be fireworks and it'll work. And that's what it means to be fulfilled sexually. When in reality, just like a relationship, your physical intimacy and your physical connection is still a learned process. It's still something you have to learn about another human being. It's still something that, and we don't talk about sex that way in our society. We don't talk about learning another person physically or or helping another person learn you physically. We don't talk about how to establish intimacy on a physical level in a way that's meaningful or sustainable or in a way that really honors the evolution and the journey that we're all on as we grow and change. You know, if you start dating someone, what works for you sexually is not going to be the same in 10 years. And so if you expect to be together throughout a lifetime, perhaps, perhaps, or for any long period of time, everything you think you know about another person is going to change anyway. So you have to have that sort of established ability to really understand and learn and be willing to be open and explore what works for someone sexually and what doesn't work for someone sexually. And I think it's another form of intimacy in that it requires time and effort. And it isn't just this thing that just happens or is just magical from the get-go or is magical for your entire relationship. All those things are going to flux, you know? My partner and I were best friends for 12 years prior to being together. That was something that I had always been in relationships where I thought, oh, friendships aren't important. And that was, I think that that kind of logic is a little bit flawed. You have to have a really solid base of knowing this person. And then all of the sexy stuff, so to speak, that should be fun. The journey for what each other like, that part of it should be exciting and fun. And and you, you should be able to feel comfortable expressing that to your partner. So I guess my question for you is what advice would you give to somebody who maybe is a little bit shy in expressing their wants and desires? Because I know that was always a big problem for me based on just how I was raised. And I was very traditional in a sense that, you know, everything is for the man and the woman shouldn't really experience much pleasure. And that was more just my surrounding factors, but I grew up very uh, religious. So sometimes the way that I perceived things was from that base. So what advice do you give? Do you have clients that come in that are repressed? in that way and how do you help them kind of crack that code and break out of that shell? Absolutely. And I think it's really, really interesting that you bring that up because I was also raised in a very religious, very traditional conservative household. Uh, in fact, my dad is a minister or he was a he was a cop and then retired and became a minister. So you can imagine how strict my upbringing was. So I get that completely. So not only do I get clients who feel that way as well, but I very often as I kind of was going through my own journey felt that way too. You know, I carried a lot of shame around sexuality and yeah. I carried a lot of hesitance to be open about it or be forward about it because it was, you know, 
something sacred and secret and kind of not something you talked about. And I definitely get clients that way as well. So I think that the first tip I would give is to understand that even from a religious perspective, that sexuality and sex are very normal, natural biological functions. We were created this way. This is how we were made. And so there's nothing shameful about it in reality. And just human beings and our misunderstanding, I think sometimes have made us make it a shameful thing. And the second the piece of advice I have is just to practice. It requires practice. Unlearning the shyness that we have or the hesitance we have around talking about sex or sexuality or vocalizing what we need or want or what we're interested in or what we might want to explore with a particular partner. All of that requires practice. And so there is no sort of magic pill that makes us like suddenly comfortable with talking about it. It's something that we have to commit to learning. And that coupled with really figuring out what it is exactly that you do want and focusing on maybe cultivating that in partnerships where you do feel safer or more comfortable. And a lot of times I tell women just to say that, you know, if you're with a partner and you believe that you feel comfortable with them or you feel safe enough with them to explore something sexual and there is something that you want to communicate or you're feeling kind of drawn to communicate and you're hesitant or you're shy or you're not sure, I invite women a lot of times just to start there. Hey, there's, you know, this thing that I'm interested in in, or like, I think I might be interested in trying some things, but I'm feeling really hesitant about talking about it because it feels so like weird to me or it feels shameful to me or I'm just really shy about it. And sometimes just starting with what's true for you will open up some of those pathways, especially with another person or another partner. And most people are surprised to find that they're not alone in that. You know, most people struggle communicating what they want sexually or things that they're interested in or how they could have a better or more fulfilling sexual experience. That's true for a lot of people. So no one's alone in that. And sometimes making that connection just on that plane, that like, oh, I think I'm uncomfortable plane is the best place to start. So one thing that you keep saying that I think is so important is practice, right? That's such like a technical term and we don't give it to relationship, but it is. It is practice. Relationships take practice and they take time. And I don't think a lot of people understand they expect relationships to be easy and they don't want to put in the work. And since they don't put in the work, then it may end in divorce or a breakup, whatever it is. Sometimes it, it really is putting in the work to continue to grow together as individuals and as a couple. I use the term practice a lot uh, around relationships and around dating and people often respond that way like, oh, that seems like not a, a word that I've ever applied to dating or relationships before. And I just like to remind people that the reason that we all are who we are And the reason that we show up in the relationships that we have the way that we do is often because of how we've learned to be in relationship. It's what we've observed. It's what was modeled for us. It's what we picked up primarily before the age of seven and whatever our environments were. And because our our experiences and and the limitations that we might experience and the way, again, the way that we show up is learned, it requires unlearning oftentimes to change that. And the best way to unlearn something and pick up a new skill is to just be willing to practice it. I tell women all the time, it's like, you know, dating is practice. You are practicing being in relationship. You're practicing listening to yourself. You're practicing communicating your needs and wants and desires. You're practicing choosing partners that are aligned with you. You're practicing all these things so that when the right person for you comes along, you know. And practicing it for yourself too. I used to call myself a serial dater. I felt like I was always hopping from relationship to relationship and it always felt so unfulfilled. And I realized the difference with the one that I'm in now. And I say this when I say, you know, oh, this is the most single I've ever felt. It's not 
not with an air of feeling bad. I feel free to be myself. I feel free to make decisions. I don't feel like this impending doom of I have to make sure that, you know, I call my partner and, oh, what's my partner going to think of that? And I can't do that because that would be disrespectful to my partner. Like, I've never felt like I could be me in a relationship. I always felt like I had to curtail to what it was that my partner needed from me. And once I started finding that love, that dating myself kind of a thing, Mm -hmm. that changed. It switched the way I looked at things. What's your experience with that? Because you mentioned you've had some terrible relationships. I think every woman ever in the history of ever has dated some (laughs) sort of a man painted red. And we were like, no, that looks a little bit pink to me. What are some things that that you experienced that kind of molded this, what I hear is a very strong, confident woman today? It was definitely a journey. One of the reasons that I do the work that I do is because I had my own journey of, you know, I was a hot mess in relationships, essentially. I was at a point in my in my early 20s at the time, and I was at a point where all the other pieces of my life were really, really coming together. You know, I had a great education. I had multiple degrees and certifications. I had a great job. I, you know, owned a house. It was like all these things were right, and I just couldn't manage to get the relationship piece down. Like, it eluded me somehow, and I couldn't figure it out. And so I committed myself with all the skills that I had and all the learning that I had of helping other people, although I wasn't focused on relationships in my work at that time, I committed myself to like, okay, I'm going to figure this out for myself. And one of the most profound shifts that I think that we can make, especially as women, is to recognize that our singlehood is sacred. When we're single, it is an intentional time period where we can get to know ourselves. We can learn who we are and what we need and what we want more and more accurately. You know, we, we should enjoy that time. We should feel free. We should be cultivating a life that we, you know, love so that when we meet someone eventually, at some point who we want to connect lives with, we have this thing that we're really proud of and hopefully they have something they're really proud of and you meld them together in a way that's really beautiful and honoring. The problem is is that women, and I was guilty of this as well, we tend to like not want to be single, right? We feel this pressure like we have to find a partner. I don't want to die alone. We don't want to, I got to get married. I have to do it by a certain time. You know, there's all this pressure around like finding a relationship and as with anything in life, when we do something under pressure, we don't do it as well because when you do what you said, like you enjoy this, the time that you're single and you you really show up in your singlehood in a way that you know you're making a life for yourself you're being yourself you're learning about who you are that will shift the relationship story like you won't attract the same relationships that you had been attracting and i think it's so important too to feel that sense of like if you feel you're locked into your relationship i think that that's a again we're gonna i think red flag is gonna be the word <laughs> the word of the day and i think that's a flag you know if you feel like what's in your head is more comforting than what you're living on the outside world i think that should be a wake-up call for you. I think in your relationship, you should feel free to be you and to still experience life. It's not like all of a sudden, you know, oh, you're locked into this thing. You should still feel like you. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that? Do you feel that in your relationship? Do you feel like with all your experience with your past relationships that this is like, how'd you know he was the one, so to speak? Yeah, I actually knew pretty quickly in my relationship now. And part of that was that ability to really just be who I was. And I had learned by that point, I had committed to learning who I truly genuinely was and what I genuinely needed and what I valued and what I was really looking for in a relationship. And I had decided at that point, once I committed to doing that work and figuring that out, I had decided that I wasn't going to accept anything that was different. And it was that easy. And again, it sounds a little clinical, like similar to practicing, but sometimes it's as simple as I have created this life. I know what I need. I know myself well enough to know what I need and what I'm looking for. And I won't accept anything less than that because there is no desperation because there is no rush because there's no pressure anymore to like find the person. Then it becomes very easy 
easy to be like, oh, this isn't aligned. This is not for me. No, thank you. Isn't that the golden ticket? We both came from, I think, traditional upbringings, it sounds like. So I think that uh, you got to get married. You got to have kids. And it, it just, it plays in your head and you end up creating this, almost like this guilt for yourself. Like you have to live up to some sort of expectation that really isn't there because it's your journey. And that makes us settle for things that aren't really right for us. What do you feel are universally important in relationships when someone is looking for a, a better dating life, a better relationship? First and foremost, 100% foundational is you have to know yourself. You know, you have to be willing to spend just as much time and energy and effort that you do spend getting to know other people and getting to know yourself. Because if you don't know who you are and you don't know why you show up in the connections that you do the way that you do, and if you don't know what's influencing that, and you don't know what you need, and you don't know what you value, and you don't know all of these things, then you can never identify a person who's aligned with you. It's like asking someone to draw a perfect circle, but they don't get to see where they're starting from. You know, it becomes this impossible endeavor and it makes us, you know, what I see in women a lot is that we will adapt. We'll adapt and adjust to the person that's in front of us because we don't want to be rejected or because we're afraid of being alone or because we don't want to lose a potential relationship. And so we will adjust and edit and change ourselves little by little by little because we want acceptance or we want this thing to work out. And then we are not being our genuine self. And so instead of looking at relationships and partners like, oh, I have to be the right person for this. You need to look at everything like, is this right for who I know that I am? But that requires you to know who you are. And that's a process because we don't. I think the second universal truth to improving your relationships or your dating life is to understand your past. You know, we all come with trauma and learning learning that influences our relationships. And if we don't figure that out, then you never know how it's impacting what you expect from other people or how you handle the way that they show up in their relationships. Like you never understand how you're really being influenced by what's happened before. You know, so for me in my personal journey, a big part of that was learning, you know, to unlearn some of the really very traditional, very restrictive parts of my upbringing. You know, I had to understand that that was taught to me and it wasn't all aligned with who I am now. You know, I had to undo some trauma around like my biological father leaving when I was a child. And I had to learn to understand that that influenced the way that I interacted with men and that I was very sensitive to rejection because I interpreted his leaving as a rejection. But if I didn't do that work and heal that past learnings, I would just be repeating the same patterns over and over and over again. And third, I think that the best advice I can give to people who want to find the right partner is to be willing to actually date because we don't date anymore. We just swipe a bunch and then we get into a relationship and until the relationship doesn't work anymore and then we swipe some more and then we get into another relationship until that one doesn't work anymore and then we swipe some more and we have lost sort of the nuance of dating is meant to be exploratory it's meant to be a process that I participate in where I am essentially finding people who are and are not aligned with me and so the people that I date the point is that not all of them will be aligned with who I am it doesn't mean anything about me or that I'm not good enough or I wasn't pretty enough or smart enough or thin enough or enough in any way it just means that the whole purpose of dating is to know that this, these people are not aligned with me and so that I can find people that are. But we so interpret sometimes when things don't work out as it was a bad thing that we forget, again, this nuance of actually dating. Dating is meant to be like a colander, like you're straining out the people that aren't aligned and you're learning who is aligned so that when you find the person who is, you know. I absolutely love that. I try to think of everything in a positive light or as positive as I can. So when I leave a relationship that hasn't worked out or, you know, no matter how long it's been, 
And I always say, okay, well, I'm one step closer to finding that person. Because for me, I've always learned so much from every relationship I've been in, even yes. the, the bad ones. When I was in grad school, I had just, I had been broken up with by a long-term boyfriend. We had been living together. And in that relationship, when I was with him, he was an Orthodox Jew and I'm Jewish. So like you were saying, I kind of camouflaged myself to survive in this relationship almost. Like I painted myself as a different person. And like, I remember meeting his parents and I have a tattoo on my foot and like I had to put makeup on and hide that I had that tattoo on my foot. I definitely changed who I was to make sure that I was acceptable for him. And then we broke up. And I was just kind of really lost. And so I dated. I met my my now husband. And I remember meeting him. We met on OkCupid. Our first date, it was amazing. And that night, uh, I knew in the back of my head, I had that little voice go, you're going to marry him. And I went, well, yep. that is a crazy thought. Please <laughs> put that on the back burner, my friend. But I remember both him and I were so open and so ready in our lives that yeah. we really talked about what we were looking for what we want. We ask the hard questions because I think a lot of people, like you were saying, are afraid to be their authentic self, but you have to ask for what you want in a relationship. And I think that's something so important. Put it all out there on the table. And you know what? If they don't like it, they're going to walk away and it's not your fault. Yeah. It's that simple. It is. And I would venture to say, you know, in my professional experience that all of those bad dates that you had before you met your now husband, even the relationship where you, you know, hid your authentic self and you can reflect on now were necessary to lay the groundwork for being ready when you did meet him. We have many potential soulmates and there are many people on the planet that we could all hypothetically be with in a relationship and be happy and fulfilled and loved. We talk about setting boundaries. Relationships don't function without boundaries. Mm-hmm. And we all have them, even if we're unaware. But what I think most people misunderstand about boundaries is that boundaries have nothing to do with the other person and everything to do with yourself. In other words, a lot of people, especially in relationships, will sit down in my office back when I could have people sit down in my office and they would say, you know, well, this is my boundary. If you don't do X, Y, and Z, then I'm out of here. If you don't handle my crazy, then this is what's going to happen. And I remind people really gently that boundaries are not for the other person. Boundaries are for you. Boundaries are for you to say, this is what I need and what's acceptable for me. And the consequences are for myself not for the other person. We don't use boundaries as threats to coerce people's behavior. That's not how that works. They're for me. I choose the consequences or how I will respond to that behavior that I have set a boundary against for myself, not for the other person. And so it's a really like small shift, but it's a big shift. Kind of stalked you a little bit on Instagram. And I saw one post that you said about types and that your husband isn't your type. And I know for me, my husband is not my type. Can you talk about what that is? Because when I was 16 years old, you better believe that I just dated my type. I stayed inside that little box that I created for myself. Um, yeah, I think types are just that. They're, they're little tiny boxes that we learn to think that we need. And the truth of what we need in a relationship is often much deeper and much more profound than our quote unquote type. And I had a type for a very long time and a very obvious type. In fact, if I lined up all of my exes in a row, you could probably barely tell the difference between them. And what I find with people is they they believe that they have a type and they think that it means like, oh, I like men with brown hair or green eyes 
or, you know, he needs to be over six foot. That's a big one. I get a lot. And they think that that's what their type is. But when we really dive into patterns and the exes and the past relationships, most women realize that their type actually, what they think was their type actually went, went much deeper than that. And it really is nothing to do about what the guy looks like and had much more to do with the problems in the relationship, much more to do with the issues that he showed up with, the issues that you know, that person, I'm using the word he, but it, obviously I don't mean just men, the issue that that other person person triggered in us was similar over and over again. And so our type is often a very revealing mechanism to what we need to heal and resolve before we move into what really is a more healthy, fulfilled relationship. And I think that we tend to get really stuck on these things that we believe are important, but really aren't important. You know, the saying I use with my clients a lot, because again, I get them all the time, like he must be over six foot. I always look at these people and I'm like, so you're telling me that if tomorrow, if I had a magic wand and I could wave my magic wand and I could make you meet your soul soulmate, you know, the most aligned person on the planet for you, hypothetically. If I could make you meet that person tomorrow and he was 5'11 and not six foot one, you would say no? And they kind of look at me like, well, no. I'm like, so maybe over six foot isn't that important. The other example I use is I was a big Sex in the City fan and when Charlotte met Harry. Professional opinion. He's the best guy on the show. <laughs> and, you know, he was not her type. It was not what she expected. It was not what she was looking for. And she had her type when she married Trey. So if everybody knows like Sex in the City well, like, you know, she had that other marriage, the other relationship with the quote unquote perfect guy with the perfect family and who had the perfect hair and the perfect, you know, height and the perfect build and the perfect amount of money and the perfect job. And he was horrible. I mean, I can't agree with you more. And Stephanie, I hope this is just pounding the nail on the head that you have to watch Sex in the City because she's never seen it. Uh, um, I know, I'm covering Stephanie, my face you're a 30 year old woman <laughs> and you've never seen Sex in the City. I just don't understand you. I absolutely love Harry. He's so attentive. He's there for her. He, he picks her up when she's down. He knows what she needs. It is the best relationship. Harry is great. And I remind people, it's a show and it's a silly story, but essentially, you know, he showed up and everything was quote unquote, you know, wrong, but everything was right that needed to be right. So he was shorter. He was bald. He was Jewish and she wasn't, you know, it was this whole thing. And at the end of the day, that's not what's important. If the person that you marry is six foot two or five foot 11 is not going to matter 40 years from now when you're both old anyway. Like who cares if that person knows how to love you? I love them. And you bringing up Sex in the City, it ties into my tattoo is it's not from Sex in the City. They say something very similar. I'm a huge <laughs> Gilmore Girls nerd. And when Luke and Lorelai kiss one another, sorry, spoilers for those of you who have not watched Gilmore Girls, you should really get on it. But when Luke and Lorelai finally get together and he kisses her, she says, will you just stand still? So I, I ended up getting it tattooed on my foot. And for me, it was something important because I am a future thinker. I love to think about the future and I have a hard time staying in the present and like stopping my brain. So it was a reminder for me, not only about relationships and love, but for myself to say, just stand still, be present, be here. Everything will work out and you'll get whatever the future holds when we're there. You have to work on that journey. It's not just the destiny like Steph was saying earlier. I think that it's been so truthful for me and so important just kind of being present and in the moment, even in relationship, you know, not having to worry about the future all the time. Because if you're just constantly thinking about, oh, you know, an engagement like you were saying or, or a breakup, then you're not living in the moment and you're not 
truly being there and being your authentic self. Yeah, exactly. And I think that causes us sometimes to hold expectations for our partners in our relationships that are unreasonable because they aren't accurately reflecting what's happening at this moment, what's actually true right now. Yeah. I totally, totally agree. I think the one thing I'm really curious about, and I think would be a kind of a fun, interesting way to end it. So you talk about manifesting the spiritual side of it, tarot cards. I got to know, because I know for me, it's very personal. When I use my cards, it's when I really feel like the calling. Do you utilize those in your practice? Or is that really something that's personal for yourself? Uh, I definitely u- utilize it in my practice. for sure. Again, uh, intuition is very important for me in the work that I do. To be completely transparent, I do not always pull out my cards and shuffle them on the call and like use them in an active session because I sort of, I get a very broad and diverse audience. So I gauge sort of how comfortable they are with that. But I will often use them in my, when I'm definitely when I'm prepping for calls, uh, definitely when I'm, if I have a client who's comfortable with it, like they're on the desk next to me all the time, I absolutely use them. And I offer it as a standalone service too, to my clients as well, just insight. In fact, I had an appointment not that long ago with a girl who had been working with me for quite some time and had been really had a very traumatic relationship several years ago and was very hesitant to kind of jump back into the dating pool. And through our work, really got encouraged that she could be empowered in the process and she didn't have to repeat the same mistakes she was always repeating. And she got on Hinge and ended up matching with a bunch of people. And so she booked an appointment with me just to go through all of her Hinge matches and pull cards on each one just to see how they were feeling as far as alignment, which for me is just really fun. It's a really fun way to kind of meld the very practical dating work that I do with what I believe is, you know, intuitive and spiritual as well. Uh, So I use them whenever I can is the answer to that. I love that. Yeah, I'm a big fan of it. And whatever anybody's belief systems are is totally up to them. But we, Emily and I had quite the, quite the session last week because we were like, oh, what the heck? We're on the call. Why don't we just try it? And it was just this profound, like things are changing your future. It was very connected. Amazing. I love it. I think it's amazing. Whenever a client is open to it, I'm, I'm all for it. And I think that they show up. And for me, it's a tool in my toolkit. And the reason that I love them is that I always, I just feel so much better, kind of like a weight's been lifted off my shoulders because it's either confirming what I'm already thinking or making me think about something else. So it's almost like a therapy session, kind of dealing with things yourself. Like you're not talking out loud. For sure. I, I feel that in a lot of ways. And I do find that for my clients as well, especially if we're pulling cards, that a lot of times it does confirm what they kind of already know. One more question, because I think this one's a really good one. What would you say to your 15-year-old self about life, about dating? What advice would you give yourself to you at that age and to the other girls that are now kind of going through that and the other boys? There's a lot of advice I would give myself. It's hard to pick with just one thing. But I think at the end of the day, what I believe would have been most important for me to know and to learn at that age and what I think is most important for you know other people going through relationships and dating, no matter how old they are, is that your relationships are for you, but not about you. And what I mean by that is that every relationship that you experience has something for you. There's an opportunity there for you to learn, for you to grow, for you to see yourself more accurately. It is for you and your evolution, but it's not about you. It doesn't mean anything about you. It doesn't mean you're not, it doesn't have anything, any say about whether you are good enough, whether you're pretty enough, smart enough, thin enough, or likable or lovable, whether it works out or it doesn't. It has no impact on your inherent worth and value and meaning as a human being on this planet. Thank you so much, Carrie, for giving your time. This has been a delight. I think a lot of things for everyone to think about, a lot of reflection, a lot of meditation, and a lot of, you know, looking inward to continue to find that love for ourselves.
And on that note, we want to thank you for joining us and we hope you sync up with us next time. <laughs>